welcome to Star Talk All Stars. I am your All Star host, Charles Liu. You can call me Chuck. I'm a professor of astrophysics at the College of Staten Island, at the City University of New York, and an astrophysicist at the American Museum of Natural History. And tonight, it is my great pleasure to have with me my comedic co-host, Mr. Chuck Nice. Hey, Thank you Chuck. so much for being here, Chuck. As always, we have a good time together. Without a doubt, That's I'm right. already Chuck enjoying Chuck. myself. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> that was fast. Yeah. In um, this episode of All Stars, we are going to talk about... Amongst other things, the brain nice. and brains, Ooh. technology and science, communication too, with our very, very special guest. I'm very, very pleased and proud to have her with us, Dr. Kiki Sanford. Hello. Hi, Kiki. Thank you so much for having us. For Well, thank you so much for being willing for us to have you. Here uh, in the studio. Here in the studio. Thank you. I no, really appreciate it. <laughs> thank <laughs> you for having yes. me come here. Kiki Sanford is a neurophysiologist and a very, very long time. I'm a science communicator. She, I think, was on YouTube before it was even a thing. Wow. Uh, and it's been so long that she's my, she, you must have started podcasting and social media in science when you were like six. That's because right. Because that's yeah. just amazing. That was it. Yeah. That <laughs> what you have been doing all this time is Six really and a half, great. I'm pretty yeah. sure. That's and, really and you've had uh, a, a Twitch feed over time. Yeah. You've hosted This Week in Science. Uh, you've hosted the Stem Cell Podcast. So welcome, and thank you so much for coming here and bringing us your expertise. And I hope I have expertise to oh, share. Trust me, you I, absolutely you know, do. At, okay. least, at least some interesting tidbits. And <laughs> even if you don't, uh, people love that. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's nothing that people love more, believe it or not, than errant information. Yes. They actually like that more than, like, if you're wrong about something, that is what people love the most. <laughs> Well, they love gloating over the fact that that's, you're wrong. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> that, okay. you know. Speaking of something that's potentially wrong, let me bring something up right away. And, and Kiki, I'd like your opinion on this as mm -hmm. well. And that is, uh, this is a fascinating visual thing, which I know doesn't necessarily have the same scientific uh, underpinnings, but turns out to be quite stunning when you look at it. If you take a picture of the universe, a large-scale structure, say a simulation of hundreds of millions of light years across, and you look at the distribution of matter in the universe, uh -huh. and compare that large-scale structure with, say, an electron microscope picture of a set of neurons in the human brain, where you have uh, the center of the neuron, the, the axon, and then you have the dendrites coming out of it and the synapses that go from one right. uh, cell to the other. They look really similar. It's amazing that the large-scale structure of the universe and the small-scale structure of the human brain look so alike. Not in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> do you just have any idea why that might be the same? I have a few ideas. It has to do with mathematics and fractals and things I, like I, that. I'm, but I'm sure there are mathematical laws governing uh -huh. the organizational principles of emergent structures. Ah, right? so that's the concept. Please explain. Nicely done. Get, get deeply. I know, I know. There we go. Obviously, yeah. this is going to be a fantastic episode. Kiki's a gunslinger. She's just like, all right. Let, let's talk about Show me about what you that. got. Yes. Could you explain a little bit further about uh, emergent principles of something complex and, and then organizational structures? And in this case, you feel free to go specifically to the human brain. Then we can try to knit it back to the universe and large-scale structure. Yeah. So, you know, in science, there's uh, at least a neuroscience, there's this uh, 
way of being that's very reductionist, right? Okay. So you look at the brain, and if you take the brain out of any organism, say a human, it looks like a pink blob of jello. Mm. It's gooey, gooey. And there's. <laughs> <laughs> okay, zombie <laughs> Chuck. There to go. Yeah. Do, do you have a recipe for that? Because <laughs> I am really hungry now. <laughs> it's hard to imagine, though, that this blob of jello right. could actually be capable of all of. The behaviors yes, that right. hum- humans are capable of, totally, right? And totally. so then you start getting into it, right? Mm-hmm. Dig into it. You can slice it up. You can stain it. You can look at structures within it. And there are what we call nuclei within the brain, which are particular areas of the brain that have been identified right. as being used by the brain for certain purposes. Ah. And then you go even deeper. And within those nuclei, mm-hmm. there are individual neurons that are connecting to each other with these dendrites and the axons. Right. And then there are other cells the uh, that that are used to like to support right. the the neurons mm-hmm. in what they do. They're used for short distance signaling right. and for oh, immune wow. function. So really it gets super and there are complicated. There's all these little tiny tidbits yeah. inside of the brain that if you start at the lowest level, they could not be responsible for everything on their own. Right. But it is the emergent property of all of them acting in synchrony. I see. That, that allows, makes it happen. That nice. makes it happen. Right. That, that makes, makes that, blob that blob of jello amazing. Right. Fantastic. <laughs> so, so let's talk about your blob of jello, if if we may, Kiki. Please. Um, yeah. Let's talk about <laughs> your blob of jello. Uh, not not the kind that shimmers and glimmers in my uh, child's hot lunch bowl, please. Not that jello. But yeah, tell us a little bit about you know how you've come to this place, your journey through science and through where you are today. That's really fascinating to all of us to know how we all got to this point, and especially you who have such yeah. a long history in in this yeah. field. Yeah, so I came to the, where I am today because of an interest in birds. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, while wow. I was an undergraduate, I went away to a summer program. It's a, a, a lab in the mountains, the Rocky Mountain Biological nice. Laboratory. Rumble, Rumble. Right? Yeah. yeah, and I spent a summer at Rumble that was amazing. And I went traipsing through the mountains, hunting after birds, listening to their calls, and was so fascinated. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> so fascinated by these avian Not beings. Not bad, Charles. <laughs> Love that. Um, I went back for to, to my university, and I looked for a researcher that did mm-hmm. bird research. Wait. I I don't want to embarrass you too much, yeah. but you didn't say the name of your university. University of California at Davis. Ah, Ooh, nice okay. place. Yes, it was. It's a very nice place. Yeah. And so I found a laboratory run by a woman named Nicola Clayton, okay. and she was a new new university professor there. She came from Cambridge, and uh, she was doing bird memory research. Interesting. And so I went from field biologist looking at birds in the wild to suddenly going, oh, I get to work with birds oh and we're gonna look at this really interesting question of how the birds how they remember, remember right how they remember where they hide their food right. to wow. survive for the winter how they remember where they're gonna go when they're migrating how wow. do they do this and so this w- these were the questions she was looking Fantastic. into so let and me so ask bird brains bird brains, <laughs> yes. bird brains. <laughs> so do bird brains 
uh, offer any similarities to our brains? Like, do they have? Yeah. A, and when you talk about memory, do they have like yeah. a hippocampus? They the have same way hip- we do. And yes, um, so the bird brain is very. It is differently structured. Right. Uh, so the hippocampus in the mammalian brain is like if you were to put a pencil between your ears. No. Right in the middle. Ow! I'm going to try to forget that. But right. in birds, the hippocampus sits right on top. Right on top. Oh. Yeah, and so it's as if the brain is opened up instead of curved in on itself. Right. So cool. Bird brains don't have the uh, the folding. Okay, right. That, so they right. don't have that exter- external cortex oh. that the human mm-hmm. brain or the mammalian brain okay. has. Mm-hmm. But so the hippocampus is right on top. And researchers looking at the structure of the hippocampus in birds and humans have found that they share a structural similarity in that it, they call it the trisynaptic pathway. Mm-hmm. So there are basically three synapses, right. uh-huh. three different neurons that are connecting to each other through the hippocampus, through the wow. dentate gyrus into the various parts of the hippocampus and mm-hmm. then out. And the avian hippocampus is the same. It, it doesn't look the same. It's not wrapped up like right. a seahorse, right. you know, where the name hippocampus mm, came from. Right. But oh, wow. it has that trisynaptic pathway. I see. Do they have information like a, flows through it in the same way. Do they have like a hippopotamus instead of hippocampus or anything like that? No. <laughs> Okay, hippogriff, perhaps. Although, although I will say that the brain of a zebra finch resembles a garbanzo bee. <laughs> nice. Okay. So why aren't they gar- gar- zom- gar- garbanzo I'm starving. finches? <laughs> no, Let me great. tell you, me and science always go but goes back it. to the food. Yeah, I love How it. can I relate How it to something relate? you eat? I love it. <laughs> That's great. So the story goes on from there. You decide to do uh, memory in birds, and yes. that went on into your doctoral work? Is that basically how it went? Yeah. You stayed, did you so stay? So I stayed in her lab, uh-huh. and uh, I finished undergraduate, loved what she was working on, and applied to the PhD program mm-hmm. there, started the PhD program, and I got my doctorate in bird brains. Terrific. Lovely. Yeah. And and that was about... So wait, wait, I'm, I'm just curious. Okay. <laughs> what... What do you write a dissertation on when it comes to bird brains? That, you exactly were about to ask my question, really? but more funny than me. I was about to <laughs> like, ask her, yes. Like, what is the bird what, brain what, dissertation so, that makes you a doctor? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so yeah. the <laughs> learning and memory in the migrant and nomadic avian brain. Actually, that's, ooh, ooh. <laughs> I have to tell you something. Even though, even the title is pretty fascinating. That's awesome. That, only so, because they're migrant birds. So it's like they got to remember how to get where they're going right. and how they... Yeah. So, really so did you do vagrancy as well? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, don't, that, don't I mean, lie. I may have, I may have <laughs> had periods funny. of my life exactly. like that when I was in grad school, Listen, for instance. But <laughs> I can't help it. I'm just a crow that's down on my luck. <laughs> all right. Oh. I'm sure I'm going right, to get it right. together. <laughs> Speaking of crows. Yeah, I love crows. Yeah. Amazingly so smart birds. I've been doing a little reading about their cleverness. Very clever. And, and their ability to improvise. Yes. Mm. And so can you talk a little bit about what makes yeah. them so different that these birds can do the things that they do? So and the fact that they use tools as and well. And that they use tools. Wow. So the new Caledonian crow is the species of crow that a lot of this research has been coming out okay. uh, from recently that and, with and the, the improvisation and the tool making. And, and for those of us who yeah. don't know where New Caledonia is, right, it's in the so South. Old Caledonia. No, no. Old no. Caledonia is in Scotland. I'm sorry. That's an old New Caledonia is in South Pacific. Right. South Pacific Ocean. Okay. Yes. Kind of like Galapagos, but like less well-known. Sweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good for and you. so these birds, they are, um, the one of the things that we think is the reason that they are 
capable of these feats is that they're very social. And it's the sociality of the animals that we think is linked to higher intelligence. Um, It's interesting to note that, say, these crows are some of the most intelligent of the passerines, which are the songbirds. Mm -hmm. And their brain is is a songbird brain. So... Uh. Zebra finch brain looks like the crow brain, except the crow brain is bigger. bigger. So right. like two yeah. garbanzo beans. <laughs> More like a walnut. <laughs> and then and then Pretty soon we're gonna have a salad. <laughs> that's right. And then so then there are parrots, which are the other really smart birds. Yes. And mm. their brain is even structured slightly differently because they're ossines. They're a little off-branching. Wow. Right. Slightly okay. related to the passerines, but not. You Very know? cool. So, so that's um, a little bit of different brain structures yeah. going on there. So the New Caledonian crows, we think it's their social behaviors that they 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 learn and they right. teach right. and that there is information processing happening Terrific. at a higher level. Fantastic. <sighs> we will definitely get back to more of this science in a few minutes. But right now, Chuck, it is time for us to go to our first cosmic queries. All right, let us do it. Let's, uh, of course, you know, we take uh, inquiries from all across the internet, wherever there is an incarnation of Star Talk. And um, let's go right now to Sibai Mihalak. I think that might be it. All right. Uh, Sabai Mahalak. Uh, Sabai or Sebi, if I'd said it wrong, uh, change the name. Check, we'll buy you a garbanzo. Yeah, we'll salad. buy you a salad. Okay, <laughs> there we go. Uh, she's coming to us from Facebook. It says, what do you think is the best type of education and what can parents do to help? Ooh, so Perfect segue from teaching from crows. From teaching crows or crows who are yeah. social enough to learn crows from Crows who another. know how to count, right? right? So they're, they're counting, counting crows, crows too. Counting uh-huh. crows? Yeah. That was yeah. There, yes. That's an okay band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Those crows don't come around here very yeah. often. Counting mathematicians are <laughs> even worse band, though. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you caught that. Well, all, right. all right. All right. But that's a good question, so, right? I mean, are, yeah. there, are there lessons that we can learn from the animal kingdom in terms of our educating our children? Yeah, well, one of the things that if you watch any young child, any young animal, they try things out Mm -hmm. and they get it wrong. And then they try again and they get it wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of getting things wrong Wrong. before things are gotten right. And so the process of iteration, the the process of failure Mm -hmm. and figuring out what went wrong Mm -hmm. in order to try again and do it differently and better, and also something that... Uh, I, I mean, going beyond animals necessarily, but um, into curiosity, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to rote learning. I mean, we all have to, at one point, me- just memorize the, the multiplication tables, right? right? You got to get but, it. There's some basic but information. But there is curiosity that you can pass on as to how numbers work with each other right. and yeah. how they help to describe the universe. And if you get... The, that curiosity spark into kids, then they that will always so learn. That is so interesting because, so, you know, we have a situation and and I may even be guilty of it myself, right? where, where uh, my wife and I, we try to make things as easy as possible for our right. kids. Like we yeah. figure that if we like can make it so that they do things right the first time yeah. all the time, that they'll move faster and move forward more quickly. You're yeah. telling me that that's probably not a good idea. Yeah, yes. I am telling you that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Just the opposite. All right, you know. So, so kids, so I guess if you're I should stop cutting my uh, my son's uh, meat. How old is your son? Uh, fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm joking. He's, no, he's nowhere near fifteen. But yeah, well, I, well, I, well, my youngest son is fifteen, uh-huh. uh, and uh, 
all my kids, if you're listening right now, uh, it's over. Yeah, you officially are all on your own. Right. Congratulations. Good luck. Right. It's over, baby. Go work it out. Right. So speaking of kids and that, and 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 along with learning, so I read this. Oh God, I, I think it was Scientific American, but it was talking about play as the most important yes. thing that children can do. That yes. children, parents are spending all this money to put their kids in these incredible programs. And, uh, and the truth is, if you want your kid to be smart, to learn better, and to be socially adjusted in such a way that they can prosper in school, the best thing you can let them do all day is play. Is, play. is that true? Yeah. Yes. Well, well, hold because on. Because part of that play is actually reenacting things they see grown-ups do. Yeah. Okay. And they are learning in the process. But, but, but the, hold on. I have, to clar- I have to seek clarification here. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there, is a, there is a way of there's, – there's a school of thought that thinks that piano lessons are play, right? Yeah. And there's another school of thought that is, say, a Nintendo is play, mm-hmm. all right? So – which one is actually play? Or are they both play? Or should we allow them to do both or allow them to choose which one and to do it as much as they want to? Like, should I let, for example, my child sit in front of the computer and play whatever game on the computer for eight hours a day? Is that actually the right thing to do? No, because that computer is not the real world. Ah. And Did you hear that, my son? <laughs> Did you hear that, my son? Yeah. I'm going to have to isolate that answer and put it on a loop. Eight hours a day is a bit much. Okay. You know? okay. Um, yeah, but all, you know, all things in moderation. Okay. To, to so play, extent. but of different kinds. Of different so, kinds so piano lessons play. are okay, but not Very. like at the expense of Nintendo or playing soccer or running out there and, and climbing trees or things like that. Yeah. And right. it, you know, and sometimes as parents, we look at our kids we're like oh you're just messing around stop doing that (laughs) but every once in a while that is that messing around is play Ah. and so maybe let them make a mess in your kitchen let i mean my son i'm gonna let him make a mess in your kitchen we get get these these monthly science boxes Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. i I, i'm like trying to give my son these science experiments to do Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. he he's like no give me all the boxes he takes all the things Uh out of all the boxes and puts them all together and i and i'm like just okay <laughs> That's fine. Right. Just oh. you're going to help me clean up when you're done. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to wrap up this part of the show, but we will be right back with Dr. Kiki Sanford and Chuck Nice and with more about the brain and technology. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars, and I'm your host, Charles Liu. You may call me Chuck if you wish. Co-hosting today is, of course, comedian Chuck Nice. Hey! Hey, hey. And joining us as before is, uh, uh, what a great pleasure to have her, neurophysiologist and science science education specialist, science educator? I don't know. We'll call it. (laughs) Dr. Kiki Sanford, thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Really, really appreciate it. I want to go, yeah, I want to cycle back, circle back a little bit to what your research was uh, years ago on bird memory. Uh, I think that's really interesting. And, and of course, we humans have memories as well. Uh, do bird memories and human memories form the same way? Mm. Uh, and are they approximately the same uh, complexity? I said, that would be the question that I have. Because we, we imagine that birds are bird-brained and therefore not as cool as we humans. But are they? No. So if anyone calls you a bird brain, take it as a compliment. Excellent. Because My bird brains. My father was right. <laughs> that's right. They do so much with the with less. Oh, yeah. 
neuronal material, right? They have amazing behaviors. Their brains aren't nearly what we would consider as complex as ours ours, Mm -hmm. ours are. Um, But so interestingly about memory, I was involved in a study with uh, my my PI, Dr. Clayton, um, looking at the Western scrub jay. Now, the okay. Western scrub jay is a food-storing bird, okay. and they they just want to take anything and go hide it somewhere, mm-hmm. and then they're going to go back to it and oh, wow. survive like off it. like pack rats. Yes. But not but, mammals. And so there's the different, there's scatter, scatter hoarders uh-huh. and larder hoarders. Larder oh. hoarders put them all in one, all the eggs right, in one basket. One uh-huh, yeah. Right. And uh, the Western scrub jays are... Scatter hoarders, where they put them in lots of different places. I got to tell you, son, diversification. (laughs) That's what you need. Yeah. Don't put all your your food in one basket. (laughs) (laughs) And so we wanted to know if these birds had something like an episodic type memory, which humans, Mm. we have episodic memory. Like I could ask you what you had for breakfast and you could respond, I had cereal for breakfast, but you can also go back to that memory and remember the experience of sitting at your kitchen table Mm. and what it was like this morning, the Uh time, the place, the scent, the the sounds, all of the contextual cues that make up that memory episode. Oh, God, I'm even right? more hungry. <laughs> For cereal. Back to food again. <laughs> You're killing me, Kiki. <laughs> it's almost dinner time, I swear. So these birds, we were able to arrange a storing situation oh. where we gave them unique trays that had big Duplo blocks Legos all over them wow. in unique configuration. So they all looked different. Uh-huh. And then we gave them two different kinds of food, yummy wax worms that uh-huh. go bad really fast. And uh-huh. we gave them dog food kibble, which is, it sustains you and it also sustains itself. It can last much longer. Wow. And we wanted to know whether the birds could remember what they stored, where, and when. Oh. And we... And the answer we, is? Yes. They, they could. They, they could. can. Fantastic. Wow. I yep. can't even remember. Right. I mean, I think last week I dug out an old uh, Milky Way bar from my desk. Oh, It's been there since like that. the 20th century. <laughs> I ate it, of course. But uh, that's a whole different story. Okay. It would be funny if you actually found that the reason why these birds can do this is somewhere there's like a... A room full of these birds wearing like accountants' visors, and <laughs> just taking notes. Just That's like, right. That's right. <laughs> give us your report. <laughs> Where'd you Reporting put your food? <laughs> wow. So, wow. so what about false memories or inaccurate memories or manufactured memories? I mean, you know, we, for example, we humans can can think of something that we sure happened, mm-hmm. but actually didn't. Yes. Um, or, or you know. Assemble different things together and, and, you know, we, we are positive, for right. example, that aliens have abducted us, right? When it is almost completely certain that almost no, all not. of those no, alien abductions did not, did not happen. But How it does, is very real to that person. That's yes. right. It's that, person would, that person would that's pass right. a lie detector test. Right. And so mm-hmm. we, we don't want to disparage anybody that truly believes right. it. Exactly. But it's clearly not happened. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about that phenomenon? Yeah. So, I mean, what happens in the brain? When you imagine something, it is lighting up all the areas of the brain that would light up if it were really happening. Wow. Amazing. So, and then there, this, there was a study that just came out this last week, fMRI. They put people in this functional magnetic resonance imaging machine and right. had them imagine a, a certain smell. A certain, or a, they had them imagine, no, it was a song. They had to had them imagine certain music. Mm-hmm. And they... Maybe a song by Drake. <laughs> right. Yes, right. KK. Dear love me. <laughs> there you go. Right, right, of course. <laughs> and, and 
the when they had people actually listening to music and imagining they were listening to music and were scanning their brains the whole time, the brains looked identical. But oh isn't gosh. that cheating yeah. because your ear, your inner ear, actually has mechanisms to play music back to your brain? Right? Oh, I didn't know that. Like yes. When, yeah. Uh, yeah. So the auditory so cortex. Yeah. And I mean, I'm saying that's kind of cheating because when you think of a song, you're not just thinking of a song. You're listening you're to listening it in to your it head. You're listening to it in your head. Wow. That's what I'm saying. But I'm and saying, that's but exactly you're, what happened. So, so another but word. that's also <laughs> physiological because that's linked to your ear and your and the auditory portion of your brain. Right. So it's a feedback loop. It's not a only loop. Right. Is, had your brain or had your ear heard something that went to your brain, your brain, brain can now, now send, send something out to, to your, your ear, ear and make you think that you're hearing something. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. So it seems... But I'm saying, does the same thing happen sympathetically if I were, well, I guess you could say it's the same thing if you're, if you're, it's your eye, then you're, it's your visual cortex at that right. point. Right. So maybe a, sure. Uh, well, that's so what if, you were, to, okay, if no, you were to close your eyes right now and, and imagine, imagine seeing, seeing something, right. your visual cortex, cortex would light up in the same way as if you were so, actually okay, seeing Okay, now wait. So here's what I really want to know. Cause this is to me the, 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 the big payoff. Uh -huh. If I imagine a painful situation in the fMRI yeah. does the part of my brain that re registers pain light up because now there's no there's no pain happening at all there's no sensory perception of pain there's no physical stimuli of pain does that happen it would light up maybe not as strongly as as, as if it were actually activated okay. by the somatosensory system. Oh, it would with but me, but I'm a big baby. <laughs> but if you imagined yourself being touched or a painful stimulus, then that the part of the brain that is responsible for that stuff, touch, right. would that, light that up, lights um, would, would be activated. So, so that's yeah. phenomenal. Wow. Well, well, that's yeah. so a hallucination, for example. Right, mm -hmm. whether it's formed by drugs or whatever. All right, um, <laughs> <for example. laughs> yeah, <laughs> is is literally a a brain thing causing your eyes to think it sees something. Yes, uh, that's, that's my, because the majority of our vision our vision is in our brain. Wow. Right. Anyway, so so you can right. like actually you can't even see what you're actually seeing because there's exactly. too much information so, there to be seen. Our brain is filtering so brain, the world for wow. us. Yeah, or if yeah. it were if it were numbers, your brain would be interpolating the numbers. So because you can't actually wow. take in all that information at once. So yeah. taken in yeah. the other direction, if you um, had a few memories that were real but didn't know like the whole story. You might fill it in, you, you and fill then in it the might, blanks. and it would become so real yeah. to you that it were a real memory. Yeah, exactly, Amazing. absolutely. Exactly. And this is this is kind of how. So memory uh, is malleable. Right. We know that when. So if you're remembering something, your brain is activated. Right. Those synapses that are involved in the memory are firing right. and active. And if you and this is uh, there's a lot of therapeutic work right now oh. uh, trying to treat things like PTSD yes. and um, and. And and other mental disorders where you're behaviorally affected, where if you try to relive something in your mind, but then add additional contextual aspects to it yes. by imagining them or even just doing something different right, right. while you're remembering it, wow. it can change the memory to one that 
maybe is was fearful and is or yeah goes from traumatic to not as traumatic. Wow, right. they're doing yeah. that with uh, phobias as well. Absolutely, same yes. same same therapy with phobias. Yeah. Wow, yeah, and you're absolutely right about memories being malleable because for the longest time I had memories of my parents uh, actually uh, just being a single white man who was very rich <laughs> on Park Avenue, <laughs> and me and my little brother okay. went to live with him, uh-huh. and, and then it turns out that I don't know. No, that that it, it was that a was good real. movie. Yeah, it was a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty good sitcom too, if you ask yourself. Right, but, uh, yeah. movie sitcom. <laughs> different strokes for different folks, you know. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. uh, no, that is so interesting, and and um, well, I think that's a yeah. perfect segue. Let's go into another cosmic query. All right, mm-hmm. here we go. This is Calumet Constant. Oh, sorry, not Cal. Call me Constantine. <laughs> there we go. Uh. <laughs> uh, from in- now, I think we've figured out what the problem is when I read names. It's just the way this, this memory will stick with works. you for it's a just, long time. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. that it's that eye, eyeball to mouth connection. Totally screwed. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, call me Constantine, and I will. Uh, from Instagram says, uh, "Why do I always forget?" Important things, but remember useless things. Uh, wow. uh, Gus uh, Vesa Delanos is his real name. Call me, <laughs> me Constant. Yeah. Um, Kiki, take that. Well, really often those less important things, you're probably experiencing them a lot. Repetition is huge in memory and in the, the, the way memories can exist for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, and you're just going to remember it. You know, you're going to remember that jingle from whatever advertisement from, you know, when you were 12 years old. Blah, blah, piss, piss. Right? <laughs> the whole, your whole life because you saw it so many times right. and it's, and it's a catchy tune. Um, and it maybe also incorporates multiple contextual cues so that advertisement there was color there was sound you know you're experiencing it you were sitting in the living room in a happy time hanging out drinking hot chocolate yeah Yeah. and so those those multiple cues can also strengthen a memory and so like say if you're studying for a test it's often suggested that you can smell certain scents while you're studying and then if you take that scent with you to the test it'll help you recall what you learned while you Studying. Is that really science? Yes. Yes. That's really true. Yes. Oh my that god. Is why, it helps. That's why wow. I always pass gas when I'm studying. Oh no. No, no, it, no, it no, makes no. Test day no. makes test day a little challenging for the other <laughs> test takers. <laughs> Not saying I'm popular on test day, but hey. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but it's that important stuff. You might say, I need to remember that. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, whatever it is, is some phone number written down on a piece of paper wow. and right. wow. you looked at it once. You didn't. You didn't do the things wow. that will help you remember that important wow. piece of information. Now, what about associations? Is yeah. does that help as well? Because absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Because yes. yes. I, I, you know, like it's very funny. Like you. Uh, if you meet someone who's very attractive, for some reason you remember their name. <laughs> um, you know, you sure? I'm just saying. Well, the the or- unless you're me, and then I'm like. <laughs> Five seconds later, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, okay. Well, okay. No. So, so Kiki, um, tell us what what is a a memory that has lasted for you as far as sort of your 
scientific story goes, like Ooh. your life. Yeah, you know, what is a memory like? Was it a research event, like holding that J, that scrub J, that one time, or was it like defending your dissertation, or was it you know some what? What's a, a memory that lasts in your mind, <laughs> given the fact that you're like a memory meister? Right. So um, one other reason memories last are emotional. Aspects, oh. right? Like you mentioned, a happy time or a stressful time, or whatever. So, defending my dissertation definitely was <laughs> one of the more stressful events in my life, really? and it was one of I was ready for defending, you know, going through my oral exams. I've got the panel of four professors who are quizzing me on neurophysiology and all wow. this scientific knowledge that I was supposed to have gained, and I remember. It, you know, just internally freaking out wow. and externally trying to be calm, cool, and collected. And then they took a break for a body function break. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and one of one of the professors comes and taps me on the shoulder. And I'm like, oh, she's, you're doing fine. You're doing really great. I just want to let you know that your fly is down. No! <laughs> wow. An no! hour and a half, an hour and a half of standing oh in front of these gosh. people are gonna, who are going to decide my future. Oh, my God. And I'm like, thank oh, you. Oh, oh no. <laughs> so now did oh, that, wow. did that, you know. Yeah, that, that memory stuck. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that could, that could do one or two things. That could either disarm the situation yeah, completely yeah. and just like, well, I got nothing to lose <laughs> right. now. Or like, it's over. I don't care anymore. I don't give a damn and, about wow. anything. Or, yeah. Put a fork in me. Or, yeah. it, could, or it could kind of cripple you with like fear and embarrassment. Yeah. What, what did it do to you? What was what what was the emotional response to that? Um, I, I had a moment of crippling fear and embarrassment and then I tried to overcome it. Deep breathing. Deep breathing. <laughs> Deep breathing. I've got wow. a couple of minutes. Wow. Let's get back in there. And it worked out. It and worked it, out it clearly. Worked out. Yes. So <laughs> was it in, was it indeed an adversarial sort of experience? And and I'm trying to knit this back to our conversation earlier about education. Was this dissertation defense um something that you felt was educationally worthwhile? Or was it just sort of like an evaluative hoop that you had to jump through that sort of gives you your union card as a scientist when really, you know, PhD is just three letters after your name. You know, it doesn't really say whether you're a better human being or not. No, but I think that the process of getting your PhD, part of it is training you to be a teacher ah. and training you to pass on the information that you've learned to other people. Interesting. And so I think that that process of studying and focusing on the information and making sure I really knew it, that was valuable for me. Ah, and I, I think it is valuable to the PhD institution as okay. a whole, because it okay. you do it is a hoop to jump through yeah. for sure. Yeah. It was not in the least adversarial. Everyone was supportive and kind and wanted me to do a do a good job. I see. Um, you know, it's just the stress you put on yourself, I right? See. I see. But it am I going to can I be a good teacher? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Can I do this? Great. Yeah. Thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to take another break uh, and more with Dr. Kiki Sanford when Star Talk All Stars returns. Welcome back to Star Talk All Stars. And I'm Charles Liu, your All Star host of the evening. No, I'm not. I'm just your host of the evening. 
the all-star here is actually Dr. Kiki Sanford. Hello. Uh, so, hey, um, thank you again for coming and bringing your expertise about neurophysiology and also education to us. Um, where can we find you in the Twitterverse? I am at Dr. Kiki. <laughs> D-R-K-I-K-I. Dr. Kiki. Oh, yes. okay. All at right. Dr. Kiki. All and right. on Instagram, it's uh-huh. the Dr. Kiki. Ooh, because somebody there's another one. Because there's another Kiki. There's, oh, okay. some, there's obviously another one. Someone well, took it before me. So Well, lucky other Dr. The Dr. Dr. Kiki. Kiki. That's right. And Chuck Nice, you can be reached in the Twitterverse at? At Chuck Nice Comic Everywhere. At Chuck Nice Comic so, Everywhere. Okay. Look me up. Yeah. And everyone is always welcome to find me at Chuck Liu, uh, L-I-U. Of course, uh, I tweet like three times a year, so that might not be particularly fruitful, but please feel free uh, to be in touch with all of us and especially uh, this wonderful information about the brain, both bird and human, that Dr. Kiki Sanford is giving us right now. So, uh, You know what? Before we go, I have something. I yeah, sure. Uh, and both of you can help me with this. Yeah. So there was a question. I can't find it right now, but it said, can... Um, can neuroscience be used in the development of AI? And artificial, so with, intelligence, artificial intelligence, brilliant. But with that, here's what I want to ask, okay? And you can explain this. There's uh, the theory that things can only get so small, right. and then they're not efficient anymore. You can't get any smaller. That's right. Right? So with that in mind, when you talk about how we can more efficiently distribute information coming out of microchips, is it possible to structure the computer, the way we structure or the way our brains are structured, mm-hmm. which in science fiction, you know, Chuck, mm-hmm. that would be like the positronic brain. For example, for, of, for, of Lieutenant data, Commander Lieutenant Data. Commander data. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, one, what is that theory that I can't remember right now? Is that about the small and getting smaller and yeah. smaller? And then, Kiki, if you can, yeah. can we actually make a positronic? Let's just go right to Kiki yes! answer this point. Go for it. They people researchers are working on this, and yeah. it's so exciting. Um, so the computer is a bad analogy for the brain at yes. this point. So <clears throat> computer circuits they can process right. or store. Right. They cannot do both, both simultaneous, the simultaneously. Oh. Right? The human brain does, that. does it simultaneously. We are like the most massively parallel processed. And, and storage device in our Jello head, right? Jello head, <laughs> Jello head. Um, but there is a new bit of technology that people, uh, IBM researchers, came up with it. It's called the Memristor. Memristor. The Memristor. Whoa. It is a new a new component to electrical circuits, and the potential of it is neat in that it can store its old state and return to it anytime anytime and so the idea Fantastic. the idea people have been excited about number one is this will you know it'll cut down on the shutdown and boot up time on mm-hmm. your computers right, yes. right? Yes. our phones everything will instantaneous because wow. it'll remember it'll go where right it was. to the memory uh-huh. the, re- yep. the remembered state researchers just recently published a uh, a new nanoscale memristor circuit. Oh. It's a nanowire. It's oh, based on a nanowire, wow. little wire um, that I can't remember which uh, elements are used in the system, but uh-huh. it's a tiny memristor, and they were able to get it to process and store simultaneously and take electrical current, and they think that they'll be able to start networking it with other nanowires. Oh, my gosh. 
sometime oh soon. And gosh. that's their next step. Here and, we go. And Here so I, go. I honestly mm-hmm. think we are on the brink of having the technology Amazing. to be able to do this. So, wow. Yeah. Positronic brain there is going to happen. There you go. It, we're right on the cusp now, of it. Now, yeah. is artificial intelligence, because we have only a partial understanding of our brains, more likely to suffer from uh, deficiencies, things that we might consider, like, might they be more likely to be psychotic? Like, you know, <laughs> Skynet, for example, Sweet. decides that the only way it can survive is to destroy all of humanity. Sweet. Yeah. Is, is there a concern there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, like, any... it. Any technology is only as good as its parts, right, Mm -hmm. as what it's made up of. Also, artificial intelligence is only as good as its programming, as its instructions. And now with artificial intelligence, we're using uh, learning and memory, what we understand from human learning and memory, to teach Mm. these artificial intelligent networks so that they're they're basically failing and coming right. up with new solutions and learning wow. on their own how right. to solve a problem but right. but their their intelligence has to emerge They're, just as you described earlier yes. in this episode yes. right so so that emergence could be even better it could be even better or even worse or just right. different right I mean, it'll be different for sure so uh, mm-hmm. something that makes us who we are is the fact that we are a brain in a body that interacts with the environment right. exactly. and uh-huh. so the environment influences us uh-huh. we influence, influence the environment, the environment uh-huh. right ai is it, it's an intelligence in a box right, right? there is no it's other no, than the input uh-huh. that is that is put in yeah. there is nothing yeah. else right. and so it is a very different system wow. to ourselves so, so so would there be i mean it, is there a benefit then to marrying that technology to a corporeal um body entity that right. interacts with the elements around it or right. the environment around it. If we want it to be more human-like intelligence, I think that that would be... That we could should build a human-like body right. around it. Right, Because otherwise, it's it's going to be very alien right. in, wow. its, in its type of intelligence. Lieutenant Commander Data, we're coming. Wow. We're, we're, we're on our way. <laughs> we're on our way. <laughs> but but that, that brings, a, you know, uh, the whole concept of normal, What what is normal intelligence, right. what is typical, what should we think is okay, what is not okay. I, I think that's things that come right up now. Um, well, that, that brings us to a, a, a cosmic query. Oh, terrific. Go yeah. for it, Jeff. Uh, you, you actually kind of right in this wheelhouse. This is Davy Jones. <laughs> the one with the locker or the one with the monkeys? <laughs> uh, uh, actually, neither because he spells it day, D-A-Y. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, what fact concerning individuals who suffer from mental health issues do you wish the public was more informed about? Ooh. So what are the aspects of um, mental health issues that everybody should know? Well, first, it's it's invisible. And so you might think people are fine. They're normal. Mm-hmm. But they could be suffering. And so that is one of the very first things to understand, that mm-hmm. there is uh, an invisible aspect. Okay. Right. But what about the, the, the whole concept of illness? Now, what, yeah. what counts as being mentally ill and what doesn't, right? I mean, Ooh, when right. we think of physical illness, we, right. we, we see know. it a little bit better. Yeah, there's, is, there's so many medical so, protocols right. that let you know that you're sick. And right. your, body your body lets you know that right. you're sick. And, but right. I think our medical community is uh, Ill, Ill, Ill able <laughs> to uh-huh. uh, address many mental health issues. I mean, if you go into a hospital with a with a brain issue, they'll check to make sure that your body is working fine. Oh, weird. If you have a if you have a serious concussion, for uh-huh. instance, as long as your body 
is fine. They'll send you home, but you could still be suffering the effects of that concussion, oh, which involves memory loss, disorientation, uh, behavioral yeah. changes, all sorts of problems that yeah. are really going to affect the quality of your life, but they send you right home because oh your body is fine. Oh, that's really rough. That's interesting. And, yeah. and then the yeah. idea of, you know, what counts as being ill, yeah. right? Um, the, the terms of... Uh, learning disabilities, right? Or, or anything like that. We consider someone disabled physically, for example, if they can't walk or something. But, mm -hmm. but should we, right? Because with proper assistive technology, not being able to walk doesn't mean anything. You can live a perfectly productive and valuable life. You know, Stephen Hawking could barely move any muscles in his old body for most of his well, life. Well, he, he was something but, special. Right, I yeah. mean... That's a, that's a very special circumstance. But, the stuff he could do in his head? Oh, yeah, my goodness. But the idea of disability in general, let, let's say our kids being, being diagnosed correctly or incorrectly with, you know, I don't know, ADD or whatever, is that yeah. D, uh, the, the second D there disordered, is that is that really fair? Is, that, is there a distinction medically, scientifically, between someone with a disorder and someone with, say, just a short attention span? Right, yeah. So there is, you know, the DSM-4, which is the, is the DSM, the, I guess they've gone up now, but the uh -huh. DSM, it's the, I uh, forget what the, it's a manual that has all of the psychological disorders oh, and disabilities okay. and the scores, basically, for how you decide whether somebody falls into a certain category. Uh -huh. So we have, you know, this Bible of sorts for wow. determining a state of a person. Um, but there are so many factors that go into play here. And sometimes things like a, an ADD or ADHD diagnosis, in one situation, it will be looked at as a disorder and could be a disability and mm. could be looked down on yeah, or right. negatively perceived. <laughs> However, in another situation, it's going to get your child treatment right. and special services in a school system that maybe otherwise would ignore them. Yeah, and, you know, and, so there are these these pros and cons, right, and, right. It's, and it's and, such right. an it's you such know, a and, hard place because we are not we are not set up right. to deal with I, mental. And, Issues well, and, and yeah, you know that's... Chuck and I were discussing this a little earlier too. There there is a study that came out recently of just school children uh, who were born a little earlier yeah. compared right. to a little later in a school year, and it turns out the the students who were born a month earlier were many percent more likely to be diagnosed at ADD in a classroom or ADHD than the older child. And it's only because they're just younger, not because yeah. they're they're def deficient or disordered. Uh, it's kind of scary right. that way, right? In a way, yeah. I mean, unless <laughs> they were right about me. That's, uh, <laughs> that's unfortunate. That's all I can say. But <laughs> well, they were right about me too, but, you know. I, they were like, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Nice. Something is wrong with your son. And they were right. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what is wrong, right? That nowadays, it's I, it's a slippery. It's, yeah, it's yeah. slippery. There are gray zones now, everywhere. Is that because yeah. m much of what we call mental illness happens on a spectrum? Yes. Yeah, mm. and and very often you're dealing with a spectrum of of uh, things that symptoms right. that could be explaining a variety of things. It's right. like oh. It, Autism spectrum disorder. Right. Schizophrenia is actually a, sp a spectrum. spectrum. Oh, wow. uh -huh. You know, there are there are many genetic and environmental factors that go into play. It depends on what neurotransmitters are being affected in a particular way. What area of the brain even is is affected? So, in some it's, cases, you can have the same 
disorder or the same condition, but a and completely it, different underlying right. reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. an and, underlying uh, cause. And then, and, yeah. and you have to wow. treat it differently, and therefore you have a. Yeah. Uh, you in one case it could affect your quality of life unless it gets treated, and in another yeah. case it might not have to. You just have to make adjustments and be aware and knowledgeable. Yeah, or that's you could true. just become a comedian. <laughs> hey, because that's what everybody that's in my ways, business does. That's that's one of the ways you cope, right? If you choose what you do based on what you love and what you're able to, then that's as good a solution as any kind of other intervention that you might have. No, it, it's you know all what? about deflecting, right? right? It's like I'll make you laugh before you get too close. <laughs> Hey, let me tell you something. Hang out, hang out with a room full of comedians. You will not be entertained. That is all I can say. That's so unfortunate. Okay, we're just about running out of time, but Kiki, I want no. to give. Oh, come no. on. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, it's just been such a pleasure. But I wanted to give you like the last word, a few seconds. Is there something cool that you'd like to tell us about, like the brain or even its connection with the universe or your personal ideas about that? I mean, this, this is this is your moment. Go for it. Oh wow, yeah. So. You know, I think I think it's very important for us all to consider that we are this expression of our brains and our brain is filtering our world for us, that we are about a quarter of a second behind our brain, oh. actually, that the brain is kind of building our world for us out of the information it deems important wow. to us. And so what we think is going on... Might not Might be. Might not be. <laughs> and so this links up to the whole cosmic perspective yeah. out there. Uh -huh. You know, what is really going on wow. in the universe? It's Certain. it's bigger than we are. Fantastic. Something <laughs> for go. us to definitely chew on. Okay, well, uh, as much as I must uh, regret doing this, we're going to wrap this up and say to everyone, thank you for listening to Star Talk All Stars. Thank you, Chuck Nice. Such a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Always Do love Dr. Being with you. Dr. Kiki Sanford, thank you. Thank you so, so much. I really, thank really you. appreciate it. Thank you. Had such a All good right. time. All really right, everybody. Appreciate it. And I've been your host, Charles Liu. Uh, you can call me Chuck if you'd like. And remember to stay curious. Enjoy the universe, everyone. Thank you so much.